my heart will sing no other name but Jesus. I'm running to your arms because the riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to the embrace of God. I believe that on this morning. It's the reason why I run into this space on Sunday morning because I believe that the corporate worship, the gathering of God's people is a space where we can run into the presence of God and experience his embrace. And like a gas station, we all come into this space maybe with our tank on different levels. Some of us coming in three quarters full and just looking to get topped off. Others about half full, feeling a little weary. It's been a long week. Some of you, the gas light's on, you feel like you're running on fumes. But no matter where the tank is, we all can run into this place because the riches of God's love will always be enough. It's not in what's going to happen on Monday. It's not the news that I'm waiting for on Wednesday. No other name but Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And if we believe that today, then our hope is founded on the rock, the unchanging love of God. And I just want to encourage the body of Christ as we prepare to go into the word that we would not allow the tank level to impact our level of praise because he's worthy simply because of who he is. And if we can do that on today, then I am certain that our tank will be full to overflowing and you'll have to get a bucket so that you can share it with somebody else. That's what happens in this place, in this hour. It's the only reason why I come. Moment of full disclosure and then we'll pray. I always feel like this place right here is too big for me. And I believe that anybody who looks to hold the word of God and to rightly divide the truth of God's word, when you understand what James communicates under the leading of the Holy Spirit, it's like, Lord, if you ever want to hand this off to somebody else, I'm good. But if you and in your infinite wisdom would choose to use somebody like me, then I'm going to run into this place, believing that God can speak to and through us all and fill us with his love. So I come, and it's really a challenging experience because I come needing to be filled and believing that God can pour out all at the same time, right? And that's the same way that we should all come. We don't come into this place like, all right, Lord, I'm going to do you a favor real quick. I'll give you about an hour, and then we're good, and, uh, and I'm, I'm out of this place. Now, I know it was a child dedication. And I get it, that may have added 10, 15 more minutes. But notice, I said it's going to add 10 or 15 more minutes because I'm not even trying to cut this sermon short. If anything, I'm looking and saying, Lord, we probably should have done half of chapter 7, not the whole thing. But if you believe that you ran into this place because the riches of God's love will be enough, then when we get about 30 minutes in, I expect a few amens. And nobody looking at the clock or nodding off. I see you. <laughs> All right. With that thought in mind, I genuinely ask that you pray for me 
and pray with me because I need help. We all do. Father God, we come humbly before your throne of grace, running to your arms, believing that because of who you are and what you said in your word, that we would experience your love. So, Father, speak as only you can. Only you have the words of life. And we need to drink from your well. We need you. And only you. Please speak to us this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 7. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went up to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret, act, secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. And take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, 
over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, but they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. This is the word of the Lord. The word of God is good all by itself. Last week, we looked at chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Exodus. We left off at what could be considered a cliffhanger. Pretty grim situation. Pharaoh refused to listen to God. The children of Israel rejected God. And at best, we could say that Moses and Aaron were reluctant to continue to be servants for God. But we saw that God was relentless in the pursuit of his people. And so God gave Moses and Aaron a charge. And we see that in chapter 6, verse 13. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And then we pick up in chapter 7, and we see this charge that the Lord gave to Moses and to Aaron. But the Lord also gives Moses and Aaron the playbook. He lets them know what Pharaoh's going to do, but he also tells them exactly what he's going to do. And then he gives them a little lead-in to their first encounter with Pharaoh as they go and do what God has said. And this charge that God gave to his reluctant rescuers, verse 1 and 2, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. You're going to do what I command you. And this is what I'm commanding you to do. To let Pharaoh know to let my people go to worship me. Now, again, if you've been with us for a little while, you have to remember they said this once already. And it didn't go so well. Pharaoh increased their burdens. And the people of Israel ended up having a broken spirit because of the harsh slavery. And now here God is saying, I'm telling you to go with the same message to the same person. But I'm going to tell you how this is going to play out. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land... Of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Now, before we think that God is just 
twisting the scene and he's automatically hardening Pharaoh's heart. We have to remember Pharaoh's heart is hardened already. What God is speaking to here actually comes to fruition in the sixth plague, which we'll see in a few weeks. During the plague of the boils, the word lets us know that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. But before the Lord had hardened Pharaoh's heart, we see in chapter 5, verse 2, that Pharaoh refused to listen to God. And the reason why was because of his ignorance. That's what Pharaoh said. Verse 2, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So he refused to do what God said because he was ignorant to who the Lord was. His heart was hardened because of ignorance. And what we'll see in a little bit is that while Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, the reason for the hardening of his heart had changed. But God is letting Moses and Aaron know, I will harden his heart. And there's a reason why God would harden Pharaoh's heart instead of just saying, I'll soften it and I'll allow him to let you go. And you got to keep on coming for the next few weeks because we're going to unpack it a little bit more. So I'm going to just leave that teaser out there so that you'll uh, keep coming back. But God also lets Moses and Aaron know, don't get discouraged now like you did last time. I'm telling you how this is going down so that you will be encouraged and that you will continue to run for me. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. I'm going to do what I said I would do. I'm bringing them out with great acts of judgment. And these great acts of judgment serve two purposes. One, it was to fulfill the promise that God made to Abram back in Genesis chapter 15 that we read some time ago. I'm just going to read a couple of verses so that we can remember the promise that God made so that we could understand rightly these great acts of judgment and how they were going to serve the purposes of God going forward. God making a covenant with Abram, make a promise to him. Genesis 15, 13 and 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, Egypt, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. These great acts of judgment that the Lord told Moses and Aaron that he was going to do was in keeping with the promise that he made to Abraham. I am going to judge that nation. So we have to understand that what's getting ready to happen over these next 10 plagues is not a diplomatic negotiation. This is not a conversation where God is going in and saying, hey, Pharaoh, would you mind if uh, my people would come and just serve me for a little bit? If that's okay with you. No. This is a military takeover. God is about to crush those who have been crushing his children. The hammer's dropping, y'all. See, I said y'all again. You like that? You... <laughs> if you don't know it, you just got to keep coming. You got this inside joke. <clears throat> right? But God was dropping the hammer. That's what these great acts of judgment 
were the nation who is decimating his people are going to get what they've got coming. But not only was this to bring judgment on Egypt, it was also to bring encouragement to the people of God and to prove God's self to Egypt. We see that in chapter 6 of Exodus, verse 6 and 7. This was the Lord making a promise to the people of Israel before they rejected him again. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. These great acts of judgment, God was going to use them to prove himself to his people, that they might know that he is the Lord their God who brought them out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And we'll see again later that God actually uses these great acts of judgment to start to make a distinction between his people and the Egyptians. And so the people of God, through these great acts of judgment, would know who their God is. And this would cause their countenance towards their God to change. Because they, again, at this point, didn't want to have anything to do with the Lord after what had happened the first time around. God was proving himself to his people. And he said through these great acts of judgment, he would also prove himself. He would make it known that he is the Lord when he stretches out his arm against the Egyptians. The Egyptians would know that there is no other God. I am the Lord, and you will let my people go. And see, God had something bigger in mind. Moses and Aaron were asking just to go out into the wilderness for a little bit to worship. And Pharaoh wasn't even willing to do that. But God wasn't looking for just a moment of worship. He was looking for a life of worship. That was good. Yeah, yeah, that's just, I need to sit with that one for a moment. He was looking for a life of worship. He wanted to free his people forever. In order for that to happen, some things had to go down a certain way. But God was going to make good on his promise. And because of this truth, Moses and Aaron went from rejecting or being reluctant, if you want to kind of just massage it a little bit, to being ready to run for the Lord been rejected by Pharaoh, been rejected by the people two times over, but none of that mattered now. God was speaking, God made a promise, and Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded. They were going to obey the Lord in spite of all the rejection, in spite of all the pain, they were ready to run. And then we see here in the next few verses that the Lord lets Moses know what's going to happen when he gets before Pharaoh for this second time. He's going to ask you, the scriptures say, to prove yourself with a miracle. How do I know that the Lord sent you and is making this request to allow the people to worship? And God lets Moses know, take the staff When he asks you that, and let it turn into a snake. So now Moses and Aaron are in the presence of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, prove yourself. And Moses looks over to Aaron and says, hey, uh, hey Aaron, it's that time. Do the snake thing. Do the snake snake thing. Throw the staff down. 
Aaron throws his staff down. That snake thing happens. But then Pharaoh calls his magicians, and they got a snake thing too. Through their secret arts, they throw their stick down, and they become snakes. And I can't even really picture what's happening in this moment because I don't want to really be there. It's a few too many snakes for me. But as I imagine what's happening, I mean, Aaron's snake eats the other snakes. I'm like, this just went from really scary to really weird, really fast. But all their snakes are gone, and only Aaron's staff is remaining. And still, with that great sign, Moses and Aaron prove themselves. The Lord has sent us. You see, your snake's gone. Our snake's here. Pharaoh's heart is still hardened. Says here, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. But the Lord knew that this would happen. He was seeing the secret arts, the ways of the world, cause them to not see, even if they did do the snake thing. Their snakes got eaten. Like, just, just go ahead and go with it. No, Pharaoh's heart is hard. And the Lord now enters in, and he's getting ready to unfold these great acts of judgment. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. And so now the Lord tells Moses and Aaron to go meet him by the Nile. And he's going to do this sign, this great miracle, where now God is going to prove himself so that Pharaoh might see that this is God. This is the message that the Lord gives to Moses. And you shall say to him, to Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. By this sign that I'm getting ready to perform, I'm going to prove to you who I am. You shall know that I am the Lord. And the Lord tells Moses, to have Aaron put out the staff, that in his hand it might become blood. All the water in the Nile will become blood. Now, there's some good arguments that are made, and I just want to share this because I know based on how we have perceived God or have experienced things, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around the idea of an entire body of water becoming blood. It's like, what exactly is happening here? You know, some biblical scholars make some really great arguments, right, that actually the Nile becoming blood was from a severe flood that would have caused the red clay to wash down into the Nile and cause the water of the Nile to have this reddish tone. The more significant the flood, the more red the discoloration of the Nile. And then because of this flood, some of the algae from the surrounding swamps would have gotten into the Nile River. And that would have caused the stench. And because of all this algae, that would have caused the oxygen levels in the Nile to deplete to the point that the fish now can't have enough oxygen to breathe. So now they're dying. Right? And that's great. Okay, got it. But here's the thing. Whether it was due to a severe flood or it was really blood, it's still a miracle, people of God. I mean, it, how does this happen? Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, 
over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So listen, if you got water from the Nile yesterday, it looked good this morning, but it's death to today. Do not drink the water. Right? God turned all the water in the Nile, wherever you're getting it from, wherever you got it. Whether it's red clay and a whole lot of algae or it's really blood, we can argue about that all day. What we can't deny is that this is a sign, a miracle from God, a great act of judgment. And some even argue that it's a demonstration that there's no other God but the God of the Hebrews because the Egyptians worshiped a God of the Nile. Where you God at now? Looking a little messy, isn't he? But Pharaoh, because of his hardness of heart, calls his magicians over to see if they can do the same thing. And we see here, after this great miracle being done in the sight of Pharaoh and of his servants, verse 22, the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. They did the same thing. They found some clean water, which this is silly. You really got to think about these stories, too. You found a little bit of clean water, and you're going to make a death stew, too? Like, that's not, that's not impressive. Turn all the death stew into good water if you're really going to show me that God of the Egyptians is the true and living God. You're just going to do the same thing. Now the little bit of water we could have sipped, now you'd have messed that up too. (laughs) But that's not what happened. Pharaoh didn't see it that way. Because of the hardness of his heart, instead of seeing that this is the hand of God and I better respond rightly to him. Now the word lets us know how he responded. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. See, it remained hardened. Pharaoh, after seeing this sight, this mighty move of God, this miracle, instead of recognizing that he is in the presence of the holy and responding rightly, he gets arrogant says, oh, man, that's just a trick. We could do the same thing. And so by the secret arts, his sights being set on the ways of the world, the things of the world, his heart remains hardened. And we could see Pharaoh and say, how silly, Pharaoh. Come on. You can't see what's happening here. I mean, God did this before his very eyes for a reason, so that he might see, know that this is God. God is making himself known to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He's proving himself. When this happens, how should you respond? Listen, any God that could do anything like that, whatever you want. What do you, what do you want? Oh, you want him to go out and worship? Take as many as, just take it all. Just go ahead. But he was deceived because he was distracted by the things of this world. And here's the truth for us today, that God in his grace and his mercy still proves himself to the people. He still makes himself known. We have the greatest act of judgment of all time. Jesus 
being willing to go to the cross and die for our sins. And then the grave being empty because he rose in three days with all power in his hand. The greatest signs of all time. And the Lord would do this for the greatest rescue mission of all time. It wasn't just coming out of Egypt. He was freeing us from sin, death, and the grave for eternity. Right? That's what the word lets us know. We have a great promise because we have the greatest rescuer of all time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This great act. Of judgment, the greatest act of judgment of all time, and what it has purchased for us. Verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. I'm so grateful that Paul even has to say, I can't really explain this thing to you because I feel that way all the time, and I'm not alone. I'm in good company. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The greatest act of judgment of all time. Death has no sting. Death has no victory because Jesus made the payment for our sin. Again, you can argue all day, was it actually blood or was it red clay and algae at excessive levels? But this act of judgment was the blood of Jesus Christ running down his body and that cross for you and for me. He made himself a spectacle so that we might be saved from sin. And because of this truth, this great act of judgment, Jesus Christ proving himself to us, making himself known, the scriptures let us know, beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Keep running for God. Don't be distracted. Don't give up. Do not let the ways of the world or the things of the world cause you to be swept away and your heart to be hardened. And the word lets us know that this is a danger that we really need to be mindful of and we need to be careful of. Even with this great act of judgment, the greatest act of judgment of all times, if we're not careful, our hearts could be hardened like Pharaoh because of the secret arts, the things of this world.
And the word lets us know, be steadfast. Don't be distracted. Fight the good fight of faith. Hebrews chapter 3. Really should read it all, but I'm going to read the second half. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, listen, this is being written to brothers and sisters in the faith, and he's letting them know, listen up, lest there be in any of you an evil spirit, an evil heart that would cause you to fall away from the God who you have received and say you love. Here, verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Listen, the very children of Israel who experienced the great acts of judgment, the word lets us know that they got distracted by the things of this world and the ways of this world. And many did not enter into the rest of God. See, seeing the great acts is insufficient in and of themselves. God in his grace and his mercy proves himself to us, makes himself known to us that we might respond rightly to him. But God lets us know that we have to respond rightly to him regularly. Listen, I'm going to go out here and I'm probably going to mess up somebody's theology and just email sean at risennorth.org. But you really have to hold on to this, and so do I. Because we can look at Exodus 7 and say, well, I'm glad I'm not Pharaoh. But you, if you're not careful, can find yourself responding to God just like Pharaoh. And you say, but I'm saved. And then there's this thought that, well, once saved, always saved. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, I don't know what that means to you, but what that means to me is that if I'm running a race, I need to run all the way through the finish. Yeah, I can't pull up short thinking, oh, man, I ran a good run, but you know what? I don't need to finish up the rest of this. I'm good. I'm just going to sit here and wait until they come and give me my trophy. No, all the way through to the finish. Run this race, endure to the end. And if we believe that, then we do not just sit and rest on our laurels and think that we're good because we got something that we didn't have to earn. No, we understand that I must endure to the end. And the beauty is that God lets us know how this is to be done. 
Encourage one another. Exhort each other to continue to run this race. Right? And that's why this family is so important. You can't just sit at home on your seat by yourself and think that you're good because you have God. No, God says you need other people in your life. Right, that will help you to identify the things that could distract you and cause your heart to be hardened. Look, it's hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see that? The deceitfulness of sin. Listen, if I tell you, hey, do you want to do this over here? The moment you do it, you're going to go to hell. Uh, no. No, nobody's going to take that. But if I come over here and tell you, no, just, just, just a little, you know, just, just click it a little bit to that, that's it. You won't surely die, you know, just, just a little. Just a touch won't hurt you. I mean, what's, what's the big deal anyway? Well, the big deal is that over a long time, that little click puts me a long way off the course that God had for me. Right? And because of sin's deceitfulness, I need other people in my life to exhort me. Michael, hold on, son. Brother, sister in Christ, don't let go. I know that looks good, but it's not God. But it's just it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. See, because on our own, we can make anything sound good. You know that you are your best salesperson. Right? Like, well, I mean, you know, it's not me. If I just, yeah, no, yeah. And then I'll do this, and God, now you bless it. No, you need somebody that'll look at you and say, hey, Michael, you know that you're trying to do too much. And you need to rest and trust God. You're right. I tried to make that look like. And listen, I mean, if I'm in the wrong room, that's cool. I won't come back next week. But if, if you're in this room and you're breathing, I believe I'm in the right room. <clears throat> right? Because we wrestle with that. I need people in my life to help me hold on to. Right? Knowing the word of God. I can find myself thinking that something's good. But it's distracting me from the things of God. So we surround ourselves with brothers and sisters in the faith. Right? Lest our hearts would be hardened like Pharaoh's. And then we refuse to listen to God. And now see, I know that you can just check out and say, but I'm not going to be like Pharaoh. Right? Because Pharaoh just wholeheartedly rejected God. Well, what do you think is a good rejection of the word of God? 10%? Oh, well, no, Lord, I'll participate in 70% of what you said, but you know that other 30? You know, like the whole giving of my life thing. I said, don't you think that's a bit extreme? Like, why don't I just go ahead and hang out on 60% and then trust that, that the blood? Well, no. God says give all or you haven't given none at all. God does not want a partial obedience. Right, you look back at that story in chapter 7, three different times Moses wrote in there, just so, you, just so we clear. I know that I was in a state of rejection if you read over the first six chapters, but I just want to let you know, I did all that God commanded. I did just what God commanded. I did what God commanded. Oh, Moses, okay, you got, yes, you're doing good now. You're running for the Lord. Yes. But Moses needed that encouragement, and so will you. Listen, people of God. These stories are not written for our entertainment. They're written so that we can have reminders. Reminders of the dangers of a hardened heart. Reminders that only God is worthy of worship. 
reminders that we have to be careful that the deceitfulness of sin, the ways of this world, very crafty. The angel, the scripture says, dresses himself up. The devil dresses himself up like an angel of light. Wolves in sheep's clothing. I mean the audacity and the boldness of the devil to look at Jesus and say, it is written. Jesus, I am the word. How are you going to try and misquote the word to God? What do you think he would do to you and to me? Very crafty. Very skilled. Don't be lulled to sleep. We have a formidable foe. In the The enemy will wipe the floor with you if you don't hold on to God. If you do not filter your entire life through the word of God, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not your opinion, not your idea. What do you think the church should look like? Nobody's asking you. I know, this is the kind of things where I say, Michael, you just really have to tone it down. But at this point, I'm already out here now. (laughs) But really, we think too highly of ourselves. See, that's what happened to Pharaoh. He went from ignorance to ignoring to just straight insolent, just arrogance. I'm not going to do what you say. I'm Pharaoh. No. Excuse you? But don't you do the same Excuse me. Don't some people you know do the same? (laughs) Look at God and say, no, I mean, I'm not doing that. Do the work of the Lord. For how long? Through the finish. All the way to the end. Don't pull up short. Don't get lax. Don't start to just coast. No, stay awake. Be alert. Your enemy is like a roaring lion seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. That's not fear. That's awareness. Because if you understand this, then you hold on to the good shepherd. Because it's only the good shepherd who's defeated the enemy. In Christ, the Bible says, we have this victory. We're victorious. We don't have to worry anymore. But it's in Christ. It's not in you. It's not in me. It's in the word. And if we're not careful, the deceitfulness of sins. Oh, it's not. And then you wake up and you wonder, how'd you get all the way over here? What is in your life right now that you need to examine? That you really need to take a look at and ask yourself, Am I allowing this to become a distraction from running to the only one whose love is really enough? Am I trying to add a little bit of spice and seasoning to Jesus? Just a little bit, just a a pinch. What is it in your life that you're saying to God, I'll give you 95, but this last five I'm holding on to? Please hear me. I know that this may not be the pep rally pep talk, but it's the truth that will help us to hold on. 
Because when we leave these doors, it gets real out there. And the enemy is not playing to pacify you. I know we don't like to talk about it, but the Bible says that there is warfare happening. Right? And there is a real enemy who's still on the prowl. I need you to be aware of this. Right? Because that thing on TV is more dangerous than you may be aware if you're not aware of the tactics of the enemy. Those things that you're investing so much time in that's causing you to say, you know what, I really don't need to go to church. That's a distraction that'll cause your heart to start to become hardened. If it happened overnight, maybe you'd be aware, but it's just a little bit of hardening over a long bit of time. Next thing you know, you renounce your faith. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. So let's be honest today. I want to invite the praise team to come back up. Over the next few moments, you and Jesus, the greatest act of judgment in the history of mankind, Jesus, through the sign of the cross in an empty grave, has defeated sin, death, and the grave. You and I have come to know this. But if we're not careful, our hearts can become hardened and we can start to drift from this truth. Today is a wake-up call for us all. Is there something that's starting to drift? Is there something that just... Clip the dial just a smidgen. Five years from now, mm, didn't look so bad then. But I'm not, I'm not enduring to the end. Please, people of God, please, I plead with you. Don't let this just wash over you. And don't think of somebody else. Examine yourselves. If you're in the faith and share it with somebody else because we need help to hold on. So I exhort you. I encourage you. Examine for just a few minutes. Then I'm going to pray for us, trusting and believing that God is faithful. But you're going to have to give a response to what God is doing in this place. You and Jesus for just a few moments.